Man, well, good morning. Man, it is, man, you're going to have to do way better than that. You might have missed two weeks, but if you don't talk to me, I'm going to just preach straight through your lunch. Okay? Yeah, that's what I, that's right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Well, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming back. I was really terrified that it would just be me today. So I'm really glad that you were here. People in the first service, uh, and you're here, and more people will come back as they feel uh, ready. And we have those online, which we um, also say hello to. And we're just thankful. Uh, we're thankful in the season that you have walked so faithfully with us. If you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. It's a great time to jump into the life of this church. And tonight at 5 p.m., I hope you'll join me and pray with me. If you don't have uh, the way to get connected to that, they can give that to you at the welcome desk outside as you leave. So <clears throat> we've been walking through uh, the book of First Peter, and then we just decided, hey, Peter wrote a second book. Let's just keep going through his second book. Why not? I mean, he, he writes some pretty good stuff. And, and so we're walking through First Peter, and we're still in chapter 1, and uh, a lot of preachers today will stop and will uh, just talk about the election. But what I want to do is talk about the Word of God. And then I want to be able to say to you, hey, hey, there's, the Bible has a lot to say about everyday life. It doesn't just say what happened, but what always happens. And so we're walking through 1 Peter because he would have looked at a, a similar landscape to what we are looking at. He was looking at a, a culture that was, it was booming. It was booming, and they were financially successful, and they were innovative, and they had all the things trending the right way, but internally they were imploding, and they were having a lot of infighting and frustrations, and, and it would literally uh, burn to the ground at, at some point, right? Real encouraging, like, yay, glad I came to church. But, but he writes to the Christians to say, there's a lot you should know. And there's a lot you can do. And of all the things you can do, you can continue to have hope. If there's anything that I would know about today is that our, our country and literally our Christians are in a deficit of hope, it seems like. And it, make me, it makes me scratch my head. Because the Bible says you have a living hope that's in Jesus Christ. So 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12 is what we're going to. And this is what he says. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So here's, remember that these are people who were, were um, together and now they've been persecuted. The government is starting to pinpoint them. People are starting to pinpoint Christians for starting fires and they want to kind of make them the, the scapegoat. So they, they have scattered. And he's writing to exiles and he's writing to them and he says, do not lose hope just because this government, just because this nation, just because all these things are imploding, do not lose hope. You have a living hope. Though you are pressed from every side, you have a hope in Jesus Christ. Man, if there's ever a day, you need to know that. And he says, I'm not going to always be around. I'm going to die. And you've got to bind these teachings Literally on your heart. The Bible says to bind them on your fingers and plaster them on our foreheads and paint them on your door frames. That when you hear the word, when you, when you sense the presence, that the word spills through you, he says. Verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, history tells us that the writer of this book, uh, Peter, that he will be crucified soon enough. Not very long after writing this, he's going to give his life because he continued to speak Jesus into a nation that did not want to hear about Jesus. Sound familiar? 
Don't bring those Christian values to my doorstep and, and push back at it. So, so he says to the Christian, no matter your, your, um, no matter your influence, you keep hope because you have an eternal presence and an eternal power, and you have a, a way of saying, no matter what comes at me, the first thing off my lips are Christ. We know that he would have been, he would have been flipped upside down and, and crucified upside down, not wanting to be worthy, not, not feeling worthy of being crucified like Christ. But even following, uh, uh, leading up to that kind of death, he says that there is a living hope in Jesus. And as Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then he goes on to verse 15. He says, I will make every effort to see that my departure, that after it, you will always be able to remember these things. In other words, he continues to say to them, get, get the word in you. Get the principles in you. Know what I'm saying and live that out. I think of all the things that has gone wrong in our country. Do you know what I think has really gone wrong? At some point, and this is going to sound crazy coming from me, we abdicated the understanding of the word to just the guy with the microphone on the stage. And we stopped understanding it for ourselves. So, Dad, when you sit down with your family and you open the word, you begin to teach them what the Bible says, what the Bible says about very important topics, what the Bible says about uh, life and what the Bible says about how we respond to those in need and what the Bible says about, about salvation and sanctification and what the Bible says about being holy and what the Bible says about how we, how we do all the things we do. What do we, what do we give? How do we serve? What does our life point to? And so I'm reading the, the, the scriptures with my kids the other night, and we're reading through Proverbs, and Proverbs is about wisdom, right, gaining wisdom. If there's ever anything that I feel like I need, it's wisdom. And the Bible says that if you, if you want wisdom, do you know how you, you, know how you uh, get wisdom? You get it. It says you get it, though it costs you everything. My kids can tell you that. How do you get it? I don't know. My dad says just go get it. I don't know, right? So, so we're working through wisdom, right? You pray for it. You, you listen to the word, and then you do what it says. Amen. We're going to be through your lunch. I'm telling you, we're going to be through your lunch. Danny, I'm going to preach through your lunch. <laughs> so the Bible says that you will, you will listen and you apply what it says. He says, after my departure, I still want you to understand these things. So I'm reading through the Proverbs with my kids, and it's about wisdom. I say to my kids, who, who, wrote, who wrote Proverbs? Jesus. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was Solomon. And what is it about Jesus? Well, I mean, it's always about Jesus, but it's wisdom. And, and, then, and then what Proverbs talks about is getting wisdom, and it talks a lot about the adulterous woman. Have you ever tried to explain the adulterous woman to an eight-year-old boy? <laughs> over and over and over again. So we're trying to explain that to them, and, and, uh, but I'm trying to walk faithfully through the scriptures, not pick, picking and choosing, but this is what it says, and this is what it means, and this is how it works, and this is how we live. And One of my kids said, I understand now why we memorize scripture. I get it. We memorize it because when, it, when things go bad, in bad times, it comes back to us, like when the adulterous woman shows up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> And then I taught them this phrase, get away from me, Satan, right? <laughs> like, 
And so the Bible says, and, and Peter continues to say the same things the other writers say, get it in you and bind it to you and let it flow out of you. If anything in our country, when we backed up on prayer and backed up as God in the center, we made a huge, huge mistake as we try to rectify that, as we try to point the country in, 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 um, in ways. I think we are so divided, so divided, right? But clearly we're so divided. And then I pray, God, Bring us back to what your will is in your way. And God, lead us like we started. Lead us to the word. Let us be men and women of the word. Let us make foundational truths from the word. Let us, let us be guided in principles. Whether, whether the man or woman in charge knows you, understands you, God, use them for your kingdom's purpose. God, I pray. And so verse 16, Peter goes on to say, we don't follow cleverly devised myths, right? They're starting to make up these things like Peter doesn't know, he didn't, he's making up stuff. And, and, and he's saying, well, when, when power and the coming of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were literally, he says, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, you got to think about it. this is a day with no YouTube and no cell phones and no uh, editing and no making somebody say one thing but another or taking things out of context. If you were an eyewitness... You had power in that moment because you could say, I was with him. I served with him. I know him. And so verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God, the voice from heaven called him majestic. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's alive. He's getting critics saying, you're not real. And he's saying, hey, I'm an eyewitness account. I got, I got the real deal. I laid on, I'm eyes on Jesus for three years. He was healing and teaching and loving people. He called out sins in people that nobody else knew. And then he forgave them. He called out sins that everybody knew. And then he forgave them. And then he told him, go and sin no more. Not like, oh, you're good, just be you. No, go and live a different way. And then he says, hey, there's this, there was this day where uh, this, this Mount of Transfiguration, you think, well, what in the world is that? Think of it like this. In Matthew 17 and Mark uh, verse 9 and Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, it records that they went on a mountain. They went like on a hike. Think, think of it like this. Think if you went to work, your wife says, to you, hey, how'd you, how'd you do today? What'd you do? Well, I went to the mountain with Jesus, and um, when I got there, Elijah and uh, Moses showed up, and we talked for a while, and then God spoke from heaven and approved Jesus as his son. Like, what'd you do today? Well, packed some lunches and <laughs> laid the Halloween costumes out. You know, like, like, like he went and, and was transformed, and God literally puts his stamp of approval on Christ, and he says, I'm an eyewitness of what God is doing. The motive here is not money or pleasure or power because this guy's going to give his life crucified upside down not that long from now for just speaking the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. When I, if I had an end game for today, here's what I would say. When you open the word, I think we've forgotten you literally are hearing from God Almighty. I'm going to preach through your lunch. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. 
When you open the word of God, literally the Bible says that men were inspired to write and that they wrote, and as, as they wrote, the Holy Spirit is now speaking to us through that word. So the question becomes, do you know what it says? And to be honest, this is not a guilt trip for you. I'd love to think that you open the Bible maybe with fresh eyes say, God, speak to me. Or maybe for the first time, God, speak to me. Or, or maybe you, you begin to talk to others in your home with a difference, not just that dusty old Bible on the, on the coffee table, but you begin to open and say, God speaks through this. Because when God speaks as the greatest way through his scriptures, it's more important than your feelings. It's more important than your opinions. It's more important. Anybody got a crazy uncle? Yes. It's more important than your crazy uncle. Anybody got an uncle that you thought was crazy that the older you got, you realized he ain't so crazy? Not many of those. It's, it's more important than him. It's more powerful. When you open the word, God speaks to you. Verse 19, this is what it says. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. In other words, your faith only gives you enough. Like if I had a lantern, it only gives me enough light in front of me to just see that. And beyond that, I've got to trust him. Yeah. If you're like me, I'm a planner. I'm a pl I, like to, I, like to, I want to know so far in advance. And 2020 has just thrown everything for a loop, right? And God just says, hey, I'm lighting the path, and I'm going to show you the next step, and you trust me on the journey. You trust me. And so I'm, I'm trusting. I'm trusting. I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm following you one step at a time, one step at a time. He's too gracious to tell you the future. If he had shown you 2020, you wouldn't have wanted to come here. And I, we might want to skip 2021, too. I don't know. I don't know. When I was in my um, kid's room the other day, I, my son says, hey, let's, get, let's do something to my brother. They now share a room because we have foster kids, and so we had to split up their rooms differently, so they're sharing a room. Neither one of them wanted to say they wanted to, but they both wanted to, which is kind of cool. So they're, they're sharing a room, and, and my youngest son said, let's get a snake off of Amazon and put it under my brother's bed, and let's scare him. I'm down for that. So I'm laying in my son's bed, and I'm pretending like I'm being a good dad and snuggle with him, but we're really just trying to trick my other son, and I've got this flashlight, and about 20 minutes into laying there, I finally just kind of like start putting the flashlight around the room, and then all of a sudden, I point it underneath my son's bed, and we just start screaming, there's a snake under your bed. Do you know what my son did? He just said, be quiet, and rolled over. So I did what every father would do. I jerked him out of the bed, dragged him across the floor. Because I'm trying to make this thing look real. You know what I mean? Got frustrated, got back up, got back in his bed. Did not fall for it, man. My son, my youngest son tells me, I do this about every other night. That's why he didn't fall for it. Why do you tell me that for I bought stuff off of Amazon? Anyway, so, but what I know is, what I know is that when, when, when we spotlight things, we have enough faith to just handle the moment. And then God just gives us one more step at a time. And that's what he's telling us here through this. And then verse 20 says, know all this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's interpretation. No prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried on by the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, when you read the word, when you open it up, whether on your phone or a Bible or whatever, whatever, you look it up on the computer, when you look at it and you read something and you don't agree with it, or it doesn't align with your politics, or, or you, don't, you don't think that, that this matches what you think it should say, you are wrong. <laughs> or, option two, you don't understand. And you need to go back and figure it out. But most of the time, welcome to church, you are wrong. Because it's the most important word. The only option that the Christian has is to literally read what the Bible says and do it. You get wisdom, though it costs you everything. I'm shocked um, in a day and age where we have tried to kind of push back from Christian values, and, uh, and hopefully we can continue to regain those as the Lord uh, leads and builds his church. I'm always shocked when we count in, um, in, in B.C. and A.D. B.C. before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, which is the year of the Lord or the birth of Christ. Um, and when I tell you this is because verse 20 talks about the prophetic word. And among all the books ever written, the Bible, um, is, it accurately foretells specific events that occurred many, many years ago, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before it actually occurs and then it's fulfilled. So the, the Bible has around, approximately, you can give or take, uh, 2,500 prophecies that appear in the pages of the Bible, give or take, and about 2,000 of those have been fulfilled. To the letter, no errors, and the remaining ones will be fulfilled in the future as the days unfold. And I think the Lord is very close to coming back. I really do, man. And I look around, I think, Lord, you're going to return, and I want to be ready, and I want my people to be ready. I want my family to be ready. And so he says, there are all these things in the New Testament that happen. Now, hundreds of years later, they're fulfilled. And that should blow our mind. And that's why I wonder if we don't know what we're actually holding. Let me take just a couple examples I'll show you. i got to go through this fast. You could tell I've been sitting at home for two weeks, right, sitting on the couch? Okay. I can tell you've been sitting on the couch, too. You're quiet. All right. 4,000 years before Christ, Jesus had a mother and not a, a father to be mentioned. Genesis chapter 3, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will, you will strike a seal. There's no mention of earthly father. There's no mention in the rest of genealogies like they usually do. It's usually the, where they come from or it's the man, this man, we got this man, this his son, so on and so forth. But it never describes it that way. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And we know that Jesus was born to Mary, a virgin, and Joseph kept her as his wife. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Here's the second thing. 1,400 years before Christ, Jesus' family line was described. In Genesis, it says, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, speaking of Abraham. Verse 17, your, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and will call him Isaac, and I will establish his covenant, my covenant, with him, not speaking of Ishmael. Imagine this. There's a story. There's this old, old couple in the Bible. They're old. They're barren. They have no kids. And God says, I'm going to give you a child if you just wait. And Abraham, you can be father of a great nation. And, and they say, are you crazy? Look at us. Look how old we are. How many people feel like you're getting older? 
The older you get, do you feel older? Oh, man, I have, I have conversations now with you about, like, my, uh, like, we talked the other day about shoulders. Oh, man, how do you, I can't do no bench press no more. My shoulders hurt, right? Like, like, the older you get, you feel like your body's falling apart. Well, this couple was already old, and God's saying, hey, we're going to give you a child. to say, well, we've got to take this into our own hands. So the wife says to the maidservant, my husband's going to sleep with you and have a child. Fulfill this promise. So they have a child. And then God fulfills his promise and gives the couple a child in their old age. And now they're shocked. What? That he fulfilled his promise, right? And so here we are with this couple who has taken matters into their own hand and got the promise that God fulfilled. And much of the conflict that arises from this is because they didn't just believe that God would do it, yeah. right? And they fought and did their own thing. And so much of what happens in the Middle East comes from that drama, if you ever wonder. What is all the drama in the Middle East? It comes from that, uh, that stem of relationship and that, that moment in history. But the Bible says in Matthew... It records the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Jacob and Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. It was fulfilled, right? This would be Jesus' family line. Number three, 70 years before Christ, his birth would be in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 records that, that though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who is ruler over Israel. Luke 2 records that as an eyewitness, this came to be true. Here's number four. Let me move quickly. 700 years before Christ, Jesus' sinless life was described. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Peter goes on to describe as the fulfillment that he was called to suffer, never actually sinning, no deceit or commitment of sin. Uh, number five, 700 years before Christ, Jesus' family was fleeing to Egypt. Uh, the Bible records in Hosea chapter 11 that when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, Matthew 2 records that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says, take your son and flee Egypt because they're going to kill him. Literally, they had asked him to register, to be taxed, and then Herod was trying to find all the baby boys because he'd heard of this this uh, King Jesus, and he was killing all the baby boys. And so literally the angel told him, flee. And so that prophecy was fulfilled. Number six, 700 years B.C., before Christ, Jesus' way was prepared by John the Baptist. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way, make straight in the wilderness a highway of the Lord. I want you to think of your craziest, most wild Family member or person you know, they seem nuts, but they have something to say every time you... That would be John the Baptist. Says he lived in caves at times, says he ate locusts and honey, said he made his own clothes, but he continued to preach, there is one coming, and he prepared the way for Christ. Here's number seven. 700 years before Christ, Jesus was performing miracles. Isaiah 35 records that the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongues will shout for joy. And the entire New Testament is about the miracles of Christ. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just have him lay hands on me and pray, if he would just come and pray for my, my brother who passed away, if he, could just, if he could just think and just pray and give, if you just over and over and over. Number eight, a thousand years before Christ, there would be a betrayal by a friend. Psalms 41 records 
that even my closest friend, when I trusted, he who shared my bread would lift his heel against me. In those days when you ate, you didn't eat like us at a, at a, um, at a table with chairs. You lay, you reclined, right? And so if you showed your heel to someone, it was super disrespectful, offensive. And it basically says, there's these 12 guys and this one disrespected me by turning me over. He didn't literally stab me in the back, you know, because of an, he stabbed me in the front. He was so close. But number nine says 500 years before Christ, Jesus' betrayal for 30 pieces of silver and it was thrown, uh, was thrown in the temple. So Zachariah says that he would, be, he would be handed over for 30 pieces of silver and it would say, the Lord said, throw it to the potter, right? In the Lord's house, throw it to the potter. The temple was destroyed about 70 AD and so this is a past event and, Ju- and Judas literally gives Jesus away for 30 pieces of silver. Number, number 10, very quickly. Jesus' clothing will begin before Psalm 22 says that they divided my garments among them and cast lots. At the foot of the cross, the Bible tells us that they gambled for his clothes. Uh, number 11, 700 years before Christ, they said he would be hated and rejected. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. The New Testament tells us that they rejected him so much, despised him so much, that despite no wrongdoing, Despite never um, violently re- or lashing out or, or saying anything against those who accused him, they laid him and whipped him with a cat and nine tails, uh, a leather strap, and it would be um, bone and glass and, and, and uh, metal, and it would just rip skin. They had it perfected. They would just alternate, and some people would just die from the whipping, and they hated him so bad that they, they literally put him through all this torture, but the Bible had already said, this would happen. Uh, number 12, a thousand years before Christ, it said Jesus would be crucified. Psalms 22, dogs have surrendered me, and they've surrounded me, and a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. The crazy thing is this, this prophecy was, was hundreds of years before, before they started impaling people on crosses. And Jesus is on a cross, and it says that literally... They nailed him to that cross. And, and then number, number 13, that Jesus' bones would not be broken, the Bible describes. Exodus, do not break any of the bones. Psalms 34, he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. John chapter 19 records that, that when they came up to the two thieves and Jesus on the cross, that to get them to hurry up and die faster, they would break their legs so they couldn't lift up on the cross. They'd be nailed to the cross, and so they would start to sag, and the only way to get breath was to push. And so if they broke their, if they broke their knees, they broke their bones, and there was no way to pull up, and they would suffocate quicker. And it says in John that when they did this to the two beside him, they got to him, and instead of doing that, they pierced him, and blood and water flowed. And it would be as the prophecy said that no bone in his body would be broken. Here's number 14. 700 years before Christ, Jesus was buried with the rich. I mean, this is just, I mean, who makes up this stuff? Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 3. He will be assigned a grave with the wicked and with the wretch in his death, though he had done no evil, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 records that a a rich believer named uh, Joseph of Arimathea was told, we've got to use your tomb, let Jesus stay there. And thus was fulfilled the prophecy. And Jesus could probably say, I'm only going to need this for a couple of days, okay? I won't be long. Just let me have it. I'll be on my way. But the Bible foretold that 700 years before Christ, 
came. And the last one is this that I will tell you today. A thousand years and 700 years before Jesus' resurrection, it was recorded. And it was recorded in Psalm 16. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let the Holy One see decay. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 is the fulfillment. They say this over and over in the New Testament. This Jesus that God raised from the dead, we are his witnesses. This God that Jesus raised from the dead, we are his witnesses. That's us. This Jesus that God raised from the dead, we are his witnesses. And we have a living hope. Now, let me tie this all up for you. I'll close and we'll go to lunch. Let me, let me explain to you why I would share this with you. One, because when the passage describes it, a lot of times we kind of like gloss over things like, oh, that'd be too much to tackle. This is not the time to get into all the prophecy and what I don't know what it's talking about. Just kind of gloss over it. But what the prophecy tells us, if there's so many prophecies that have been fulfilled, it tells us that Jesus is Lord. You say, well, why does it tell us that? It tells us like this. Uh, there was a scientist that at the University of Westmont College um, called Peter Stoner, and he, he wrote this book on, uh, called Science, and he says it like this. If you took eight of the prophecies, only eight. I've told you 15 out of 2,500. If you only took eight of them and one person fulfilled them all, the odds would be unbelievable. For example, he said, if you took a silver dollar and you marked it, and then you took a bunch more silver dollars and you covered the state of Texas two feet deep. So two feet deep, there's one silver dollar marked and all the rest have nothing on them, right? Then you just mix them all up, two feet deep, state of Texas, and then you walked as long as you wanted to or drove or did whatever you were going to do, and you dug down and picked out the one that was marked. That'd be the probability that eight of those would happen in one person's life. That the fulfillment would be in one person. When you pick up your Bible and you read it, you're literally reading what God is trying to tell you. And what he's telling you is this Jesus that I raised from the dead be my eyewitness account until I return. Be witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and through all the earth. And I want to tell you something today. I don't usually preach like this. This is different for me, right? But I, but I look at what we're facing as a country, and I think to myself, we're going to pray tonight, Lord. We're going to pray a million different ways, and we're going to pray scripture over things, and we're going to pray for leadership, both what is now and, and what, whoever's elected, because the Bible tells us to pray. And we're going to pray biblical values, and we're going to pray um, that, that God's will will be done, and we're going to pray life. And we're going to, Lord, we're going to just give it to you. We're going to trust you. And we're going to pray for our country. God, draw us back to your kingdom. Revive us. No revival is coming through any president. The revival comes through the church. Lord, help us to call people back to your son and to him through the word of scripture. And then we're, this is what we're going to do. This is what we can do. We can open the word together and we can believe every word it says. 
not pick and choose what things say, not decide what we want to believe and don't want to believe, not decide that these, some of the things are good, the rest of these I don't care about, not give in to the indifference of I don't understand, so I don't know. God, if you're speaking through these words and I'm going to know this thing like my life depends on it, because guess what? Your life depends on it. Stand with me. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for this church. Here we are. We're back. We're open. You never went anywhere. Lord, here you are. We, we look into the word, and sometimes we get so relaxed with your word that we forget you are speaking directly to us. God, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would stir in us that you are moving and speaking and growing us and challenging us and want to use us for your glory. So, Lord, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices and we offer our lives as pointing to a living hope. So, God, go with us today. Use us. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. We love you today. Have a wonderful day.